1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. Um, if you have a Bible, please do follow along. But if you do not and you would like one to keep and to take home, you can grab one at the welcome table as you leave and head out. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from what fo every form of evil. May the God of peace sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do this. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. My name is Paul, and it is uh, wonderful to preach this morning, and sorry if I block you guys with this. Um, I am a lot of things. I'm a student, a chaplain. I have been part of this community for quite a while, and it is always a joy to preach. So last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday, as many of you know. And a bunch of us from Urban Village Church, including many of you here today, we did something that I literally look forward to all year. Despite the bitter and ungodly cold, <laughs> we went out and made these prayer stations across the city, inviting folks in the busyness of their life as they are shuffling to the CTA train or other places to take a quick pause and practice this ancient, kind of weird and beautiful and a little bit morbid practice of receiving ashes on your forehead in the shape of a cross and remembering that we are dust and to dust we shall return and in the frailty of our dustiness, of our earthiness, God holds us and loves us. And we met all kinds of folks. I mean, a lot of people also just walked by, but we met a lot of people, Catholics and Protestants, and folks that weren't quite sure if they believed, but they wanted ashes anyways. Uh, one person that I met that has stuck with me, and actually um, I was inspired by meeting her and got me, it actually got me to rewrite this whole sermon the last couple days. Um, and I asked her if I could use this story, and she said, yeah. Um, she was on her way to the red line, walking kind of fast. And if you're friends with me on Facebook, I posted about this, so you may know where I'm going with this. Um, she declined, you know, she didn't want ashes, she said she was okay, uh, but somebody handed her a flyer for Urban Village Church anyways, and she took it, um, and she was keeping her same pace, and she glimpsed at it, and as soon as she looked at it, she paused, and she turned around and looked at us, and there was this look of disbelief on her face, and she was kind of walking towards us, I was like, what is she going to say? Uh, <laughs> did something offend her in the flyer? <laughs> I don't know, um, oh gosh, so I'm like preparing myself. Um, but she comes up to us and asks, are you the same urban church that was at the Chicago Pride Parade? And I almost couldn't believe what she was telling me. She explained that not last summer, but two summers ago, she received a flyer for Urban Village Church. She was in the crowd, and somebody also placed a flyer in her hand then. I mean, what are the odds? <laughs> and she, she said she's never visited Urban Village, actually. However, in her words, it's kind of weird to get a flyer for a church at a pride parade, so how could you forget that? <laughs> and then we had a bit of a conversation about um, why we are out so much and we try to live out our faith, not only on Sundays, right, like we say every week, but Monday through Saturday in the public square, 
um, kind of connecting our spirituality with the spirituality of the city as well. And we also talked a little bit about Lent and how Christians try to give up or take on something during that season in a way to open themselves up more for God. And while she still didn't take the ashes, which is cool, she did say that she wanted to try and make a commitment for Lent, which was to visit one of our sites finally. Um, however, she did say that it would be kind of difficult because she has a hesitancy towards traditional church buildings. To my joy, I was able to tell her, well, actually, we don't meet in church buildings. We meet in all these unconventional spaces across the city, such as the Chopin Theater. Um, and so that kind of sealed the deal for her, as she said she would. Uh, and I, I thought it'd be neat if she happened to be here, but I don't think she is. <laughs> um, but anyways, so I thought a lot about that story, and it inspired me to kind of rewrite my sermon. And one thing that I was wrestling with and thinking about is not only her hesitancy, but I think a lot of folks' um, resistance to traditional church buildings that are only structured for worship on Sundays. And while I personally, you know, I, I think church buildings are okay. They, they have good and bad points, you know. Um, I'm not necessarily against them. However, I think there's something to learn from that hesitancy. I think there's even, maybe without knowing, that resistance against church buildings is actually something very holy. It comes from a holy place. Maybe it comes from having uh, a resistance to a small view of God, where God is trapped in this box on Sunday mornings and is not pervasive, is not pursuing us in all aspects of life. So maybe it has something to do with that. And I, I think even for folks like us, who meet, meet in all these unconventional spaces and kind of pride ourselves being a church without walls, right? I think even for us, we need to consider that. Um, if you are like me, you know, I practice my faith. I come to church on Sunday mornings. I uh, do small groups. I um, have special times throughout my day for prayer with folks or just by myself. And those are the, the, the pulse of our faith. Like, we need to do that. That keeps us going. However, if you are like me, I sometimes fall into a compartmentalization where I am more open to God and what God is doing in the world and in my life in those spaces, those spaces that I have said, now I will pray for 10 minutes or I will do whatever. And then in the, in the regular times of my day when I am stressed or going to work or just trying to get through life, I don't, I'm not really aware of God. I almost forget, even though I would, of course, say, yes, God is everywhere. But I almost forget that. I forget that actually a lot. And so Lent is a time where we look inwardly. We talk a lot about bringing down the walls of the church. And Lent, I think, is, is that. But it's also a time to explore what walls have we created within ourselves, maybe unwittingly or wittingly, trying to keep God out of certain parts and try to be fuller human beings and allow God into all our parts and spaces, um, even those parts that are kind of vulnerable and full of pain and question. I, uh, I tend to not bring those to church as much, or to even when I pray by myself, I tend to bring my more polished self to God. But I think Lent is about a season of looking inwardly, exploring where we are broken, and insisting that God is in the beauty and the brokenness of life. So here at UVC, we are starting a sermon series today called Naked, getting, getting Vulnerable with God, Getting Naked for Lance, I guess. <laughs> um, 
And it's all about this idea of how can we bring down those walls and be more vulnerable and allow God in those spaces that maybe uh, we tend to push God out or don't expect God to be. And also how we can do that with prayer. We're going to be talking about prayer a lot for the next few weeks. So the Apostle Paul, in the letter that was written today, this is at the very end where he's about to sign off. He is calling the church in Thessalonica to live a certain way, to view the world in a way that insists that God's presence is in all aspects of their lives, that God's persistence is in every moment of their being. Paul says, and you've heard it today, pray without ceasing. Now, before we kind of explore what the heck does that mean and how could you pray all the time, that just sounds crazy, right? Um, I want to take a step back and consider the situation, the relationship between Paul and his church. Now, Paul was a church planter. He was also a theologian and a pastor. He kind of like did it all back in, back then. Um, it's almost hard to believe that one person could do that. Um, so he planted these churches, and he planted the church that he's writing to, and he used to be with them for this time. And um, I want to refer to a scripture that is in chapter 2, so more towards the beginning Paul talks about kind of like the good old days when they were together, and there was this painful separation. He says, We longed with great eagerness to see you face to face, for we wanted to come to you, certainly. I, Paul, wanted again and again. So there is this longing to be with this community that he started, that he pastored and rose up, but he can't be with them. And so he has gotten a report of how they're doing, so he's writing to their specific situation. So I was thinking, it's kind of like if Trey, Trey Hall, who, um, who Luke was mentioning, uh, recently moved to the UK, it would be like if he was sending us a video. Of, you know, he wants to be with us, but he's kind of speaking to our very specific context in Wicker Park. He knows about our struggles, so he's kind of giving pastoral advice again. It's kind of like that with this church in Thessalonica. So this is a big deal to them. This is their like spiritual leader from the past who started their community. And he is now speaking to them in a very specific context. And then so Paul goes through the letter talking about how to live, uh, Christian living, and he theologizes about that along the way. And then towards the second half of the letter, probably like chapter four and five, getting closer to what was read today, um, Paul talks about this coming day of the Lord where everything will be set right and if you were here last week, uh, Paul Hom, not Paul the Apostle, but Paul Hom, our pastor here. There's a lot of Pauls going on today. Uh, I'm Paul. <laughs> uh, Paul Hom preached about Romans, or not Romans, Revelation 22, about the idea of heaven coming to earth and everything being set right. So Paul is also talking about that here. And so the Apostle Paul talks about the past when the community started. And he also talks about the future of what to look forward to when just injustice will be no more, and God will set everything right. However, when the Apostle Paul is about to sign off, when he is about to give his final benediction, which was read today, uh, Paul does not leave this community fixated on the past, on the, the good old days when he was there, but nor does he leave them fixated on the future, even though both of those are really important, and Paul ho- holds all of that. But Paul leaves them grounded in the present, or in the continual present. He says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. 
Now, I just want to say, Paul is not talking about this kind of like fake Christianity where we pretend pain doesn't exist in the world. You know, rejoice always. <laughs> uh, give thanks and everything. That's not how he means it. Um, and I think sometimes we kind of fall into that. I've fallen into that. It's important to know that Paul says give thanks in all circumstances, not give thanks for all circumstances. There is certainly room and um, in Paul's theology, and actually he advocates for this, of protesting and lamenting injustice and pain in the world. In uh, Romans 8, Paul talks about how all of creation is collectively groaning, waiting for their liberation. And he talks about how that pain that we feel in life is real. And it's even risky. He, he um, connects it to the birth pangs of an expecting mother. So there's real pain and even risk. However, there's also this hope for new life. There's this coming of something new, which God is doing in the midst of that pain. So pray without ceasing. I, I tried thinking a lot about how am I going to define prayer. I pray all the time, and sometimes it's kind of hard to say what it is. Um, the best I came up with, at least for me, this is what it means to me, is communion with God. I think prayer has something deeply to do with our connectivity and our communion with God, it's something that maybe goes on more than we are aware of. And so one way of thinking of praying without ceasing is uh, growing in greater awareness of this communion, this persistence of God in all parts of our lives, even where we maybe expect God not to be. Richard Rohr, has, he talks about this as living in the naked now. And I think a quote, yep, a quote's on the screen. He writes, It is living in the naked now, the sacrament of the present moment, that will teach us how to actually experience our experiences, whether good, bad, or ugly, or, and how to let them transform us. When we can be present, you will know the real presence. And so it's this way of living that we don't function on autopilot, but rather we try to live fuller into every moment because we begin to understand that God is always there and we could experience the real presence with a capital R, capital P, God being there, the divine. But how do we grow in that awareness? I mean, that's kind of difficult to say. Um, one way I've, I've began to do that is through prayer practices and to be more open in my vulnerability with God. So. Um, as some of you know, I am a hospital chaplain. I've been one for about two years, and so is Molly, who is here today. Uh, we are chaplain buddies, sorry to point you out. <laughs> um, and when I started, I started off as an intern, and now I am a full-fledged chaplain. Uh, and when I started as an intern, I felt super insecure and really unprepared because I have to go into rooms with folks who are in pain in their vulnerability and I don't know what to say, you know, I'm like, I don't, you know, they're from a very different context most of the time. Um, am I gonna say the wrong thing? So there's always that fear. The fact that I'm not in control makes me feel vulnerable. And I, I believe that after my training and as I grew into my chaplaincy work, that that would go away and I would just become this badass chaplain who always, you know, had like the right answers and could, you know, oh, I gotta, let me give you a, you know, a, a solution for that. And that actually never happened. <laughs> I still feel incredibly vulnerable every time I go into 
a space. Um, I always feel like maybe I will say something terrible, and I don't, so that's good. Um, <laughs> but I have one thing that has changed, though, over this year and a half-ish or so of being a chaplain, is that I've learned to trust God, that God is actually there in the vulnerability. God is there. And usually these really amazing conversations actually take place, and they're not really from my own, like, doing. Um, so really, I just need to show up, show up to life, and God takes care of it, even in the vulnerable, kind of messy spaces. Recently, I um, visited a man who was grieving as his wife was on her deathbed, and they had been married for 10 years. Um, and it was really hard for me, needless to say, and she was unresponsive, unable to communicate or hear or anything. And he was a person of faith. Uh, prayer meant a lot to him. However, when I got there, he explained to me that um, since things had gotten really bad, he, he, he confessed to me that he had not had the words to pray anymore, that it's been a while since he's been able to say anything to God. And so he asked if I would lead a prayer. And I did, of course. However, as, as I finished praying, this man, he just lost it. You know, he begins to weep and cry. And he did what many of us do when we cry, what I find myself doing almost all the time when I cry in public. He started apologizing, right? He said, oh, I'm sorry, um, you know, trying to hold it in. And even covered his face, which, you know, I do that too. And it's interesting how we try and hide our vulnerability. Um, but without even thinking about it, I found myself telling him, it's okay to cry. Um, your tears themselves our prayers to God, and God hears your prayers. And that was very healing to him, the idea that even when he doesn't have words, God hears our prayers, even without words. Our bodies themselves are praying to God without us realizing it. And when we begin to realize that, it's very healing. It brings down those walls in our lives that we have placed where God is and maybe where God isn't. One of the things I love about the Hebrew scriptures, in the, uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, uh, one of the names for God is Yahweh, Yahweh, and it's supposed to be the unnameable name of God, or it's supposed to be the closest thing to the sound people make when they breathe. You're supposed to be like an imitation of that. And so there's that idea that we are always saying the name of God, or maybe God is always moving within us at all times, whether we are aware or not, from our birth to our death and even beyond our death. And so one, some ways that we become more aware of this, I, I would say, is by prayer practices. Um, some practices that are meaningful to me, I always stop before I do something and just kind of breathe. You know, I did that before the sermon. Um, <laughs> I do that before I walk into a room in the hospital. I do that before I, I try to do that even before I do something fun, like hanging out with my daughter. Um, it just kind of centers me on the idea that God is bigger than just Sunday mornings and God is with me even in these spaces. So that little pause, usually I don't even like, you know, pray something like verbally in my head, but just an acknowledgement that God is all around me and those I will meet in the things I will say, in the mistakes I'll make, God is there too, in the tears. So that's, I think, something I recommend doing, uh, the little pauses. My friend uh, and colleague from seminary, she is 
for Lent, she set her phone to ring four times a day. And at first I thought, that's going to be really annoying. <laughs> but every time that bell rings, it's to kind of take a similar pause and remember that God is there. And that's really neat because who knows where that'll ring. Maybe she'll be in the middle of something very stressful. Maybe she'll be in the middle of something where she feels forsaken by God. And just that reminder of like, God is here. This Everything is a prayer to God. Another prayer that I like to do, and I don't do it as much as I probably should, but I like to do what is called the examine prayer. This is at the end of a day. You kind of go in your head, or you could say vocally, you kind of go through your whole day, the highlights, the points, and lift them up to God as a prayer, the good and the bad and the ugly. Um, you lift it to God and realize that God is in all of that. And it's kind of funny because God already knows it, but it's kind of, I think it's more for us to realize that God was always there and acknowledge that to God. It's very healing and liberating, I think. Um, so what are your prayer practices? I mean, this is something we should think of. Like, I think this is the opposite of living on autopilot. To pray without ceasing is to develop these practices that open our eyes to this reality that God pursues us without ceasing. Because the reason that we could pray without ceasing is because God pursues us without ceasing. God loves us without ceasing. There is no depth that God will not go to to be with us. When we are at the Chicago Pride Parade and celebrating gender diversity and human sexuality, God is there with us, celebrating with us, and calling us deeper and deeper into God's own life and communion. Or when we are on the CTA train on an Ash Wednesday, just trying to get to work and, you know, tired of life or maybe tired of whatever, God is there again calling us into deeper communion with God's very own life reminding us that everything is a prayer, and God was there in all those times in between. Or when we are crying and there are no words, God is also there, hearing our prayers, whether we say them or not. Friends, the Lent season is a journey of, of going to the cross, of considering and remembering that there is no... Um, there is no box for God. God will go to any length to be with us, even to the cross. God will journey in our suffering. God will come into solidarity with human oppression and systems that build crosses and take lives. And God will suffer with us in order to inject, inject God's very own life and bring resurrection. That is the length that God will go to. It is interesting that in the letter of Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, in the very beginning of it, it begins with talking about prayer. Could it come up on the screen? Because I actually don't have it, so I have to read it. Um, Paul talks about how he prays for this community. Here it is. Paul says, We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steady, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul begins his letter with saying, reminding the, this church community that he is always praying for them. And then Paul ends the letter, and this is right after what was read today, like a line before the, the final line of his whole book. Paul says, Beloved, pray for us. 
And so prayer does not only connect us to God, but it connects us to each other across space, across time. It interconnects us and makes us aware of our connectivity to all creation. Um, and I, I believe that it is in the midst of that connection that God gets stuff done. It's not always exactly what we think, but it is always to bring life from death and bring uh, crosses into resurrection. And so let us pray without ceasing. Amen.